Urban Impact, a faith-based nonprofit located on the north side of Pittsburgh. We desire to see lives holistically transformed by the gospel, one person, one family, one block at a time, through programs in athletics, education, options, and performing arts. Athletics is all about building relationships and uses sports like basketball, baseball, soccer, swimming, and football to draw kids in so we can share the love of Jesus Christ with them. We use sports to teach valuable skills like discipline and sportsmanship. Education not only focuses on helping students academically, but spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Through our tutoring center, summer day camp, literacy and math support programs, we desire to help students reach their full potential year-round. Options is all about preparing our kids for life after high school. We help our students get on what we call one of five buses, college, trade school, job, military, and ministry. Our goal is to see our seniors launch successfully into one of these areas after high school. Performing arts teaches students how we can redeem the arts for Christ. We teach instrumental and vocal music, dance, theater, stagecraft, and traditional art discipline to show students that we can use art for His glory. Over the past year, we worked with 1,009 students, saw 329 people respond to the gospel, and served over 31,000 meals. So on behalf of the Urban Impact staff, students, and families we serve, thank you for making an urban impact. Amen. Amen. Well, it's great to see you all here. And I got to say this, though. Wasn't the children's choir, like, spectacular? Wasn't that great? And you were so good to them. I loved it that you cheered them on. And, you, you know, they work real hard. Sherry and her group, they do really great stuff. And it's really exciting to see them. It was, I, mean, I was back there just worshiping. It was, it was good. It's good to be here. Good to see you all. You look good, by the way. All of you, you know, some of you got older, so have I. It's good, good to see you. You know, someone asked me, they said, Pastor Ed, how long have you been pastoring and partnering with ACAC? And I had to think about that. 36 years. Wow, 36 years been doing this together. Yeah, it's amazing. Then, then they asked, how long have we been partnering Urban Impact and ACAC together? And it's been 26 years. And then we have a 10-year anniversary together for Man Up Pittsburgh. Yeah, we're doing Man Up Pittsburgh. It'll be our 10th year anniversary this year. And I want to tell you right now, to show you this, guys, I want to encourage you. This year's lineup is unbelievable. You can show that slide up there. It'll be great. You can see what's going on. It's amazing right here that this, the lineup we have, we have uh, Tony Dungy, Ryan Shazier, Mike Tomlin, Alex. We have Brian Loritz. Um, and then we have 16 pastors that are going to have breakouts. And we have our own pastor, Alan. Check this out. He's going to have his own breakout, the measure of a man, and sign up for that one, guys. And so we can support pastor as he preaches and teaches the word that day. But it's right around Father's Day. So ladies, I know how this works. Sign your guys up so they can be part of that. I know how that works. And we hope to see you there. Again, it's Man Up Pittsburgh. All about impacting men, impacting the fatherless. We're not there to beat you up. We're there to build you up. All right. That out of the way. I had to do that. So make sure you be part of that. But last but not least, this is Urban Impact Sunday, and I get the privilege and honor to open up the word of God to you all. And our passage is going to be found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 32. And the title of the sermon is called, Little Becomes Much When God is in it. Can you say that with me? Little Becomes Much 
when God is in it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for who you are. And I would just ask right now that you'd forgive me and cleanse me of any sin and that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would speak through me to your people. And we as your people wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Have you ever thought that you had a right perspective about something only to find out that you were way off, you were wrong? remember hearing a story about a husband and wife. They were traveling down the highway on a trip, and they were running low on gas. So they pulled off into a gas station that had one pump. Gas station attendant came out, came up to the window, said to the husband, hey, look, I'll check your oil. I'll fill up your tank. How about that? He said, sure. And while you're doing that, I'm going to take a walk and stretch my legs. When he came back, he saw that his wife and the gas station attendant were having this really intense conversation. Walked up and paid the man. They got back in the car, drove away, and he looked at his wife and said, Honey, what were you talking to the gas station attendant about? She said, Oh, we went to high school together. Matter of fact, I dated him for a year. And he looked at her and he said, Boy, are you lucky I came along or you would have been the wife of a gas station attendant rather than the wife of a CEO. And she looked at her husband and said, Honey, if I would have married him, he'd be the CEO and you'd be the gas station attendant. It's all about perspective, isn't it? All about perspective. Well, the disciples' perspective of how the Messiah was to show up was wrong. Oh, they had the who right. Jesus Christ was the Messiah. But how he was to set up his kingdom, they had that wrong. They believed that when he would show up, when the Messiah would show up, he would deliver them from the Romans. Just like Moses delivered the Jewish people from Egypt. But that's not why Jesus showed up. He didn't come to deliver them from the Romans. He came to deliver them from their sin in death. He had not come to establish his kingdom on the earth yet. Oh, he will come again. But he first came to establish his kingdom in the hearts of everyone who would follow him. And so Jesus, in chapter 13 of Matthew, tells seven parables. And he told those parables to help the disciples understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. The first parable he told was the parable of the sower. And in that parable, there are three things represented. First, you have the soil that represents four different hearts. How many hearts? Four different hearts. Then you have the seed that represents the word of God. Then you have the farmer, and that represents the preacher. And in that parable, Jesus tells us that there are the first three. They reject the word of God, and therefore they reject the kingdom of heaven. But the last soil, the last heart, it believes, and therefore it receives the kingdom of heaven. So you have three that reject and one that believes. And then Jesus tells the second parable. The second parable is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And there Jesus tells us that the wheat are believers and the tares are unbelievers, but that they're going to grow up together. Now the disciples, after hearing these first two parables, are thinking to themselves most likely, well, is the kingdom of heaven going to survive? I mean, Jesus, in the first parable, you told us three out of four are going to be unbelievers. And in the second parable, you told us, and those unbelievers aren't going to go away. So it sure does sound like the odds are stacked up against us. I mean, are we going to survive? Or are we going to be crushed by these unbelievers or by the world? So Jesus tells them a third parable. The parable of the mustard seed. To show the disciples that from the very small and insignificant beginning, 
The kingdom of God is going to grow in spite of its opposition, in spite of the opposition. And then we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 32. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. The point that Jesus was making was that the kingdom of heaven, though now very small and seemingly insignificant, would one day grow into a large body of believers. And we know that's true. Today we know it's true, but we also knew it because of what the Gospels and what the New, New Testament, or I should say the Gospels and the book of Acts tells us. In the Gospels, Jesus chooses 12 of his apostles or disciples, but one of them becomes a spiritual dropout, Judas. So by the time they get to the book of Acts, they, he has 11 key people on his team, 11 disciples. But they are matched up or, or come together with 109 other believers, and they go up into an upper room in Acts chapter 2, and, the, and they're praying, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and it's Peter who walks out of that prayer meeting, preaches the gospel in the city of Jerusalem, and there is absolutely explosive growth that takes place. Almost overnight, the church goes from 120 to 3,000, then 5,000 in a matter of days. Today, they tell us that there are over 2 billion people who claim to be Christians on the planet. Now, you can determine whether they're Christians or not. I'm not going to do that. They're claiming to be Christians, and they're saying there's 2 billion of them. From the very small beginning of that 120, now the kingdom of heaven has gone absolutely global. It's true. Little becomes much when God is in it. Matter of fact, God loves to demonstrate this truth throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he tells us all kinds of stories that back up this truth. Little becomes much when God is in it. I'm going to tell you some Old Testament illustrations. And when I do, I want you to, to join in with me and say the very title of the sermon. Little becomes much when God is in it. Let's practice. Little God is in it. Very good. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we read a story of one young boy named David who defeats a giant with one small stone and inspires a nation to rise up. Little becomes much when God is in it. Judges chapter 3, it speaks of one man named Shamgar who fearlessly kills 600 well-armed enemies with a stick. Hear that? With a stick. And his act began a revolution. In the book of Esther, chapter 5 through 8, we read the story of how Esther, a woman of influence and position, risked her life and saved her people from destruction. Little becomes much when God is in it. In the book of Judges, chapter 6, we read the story of a fearful man, Gideon, with just 300 men defeats an enemy of 120,000 soldiers. Little becomes much when God is in it. Daniel chapter 3 tells the story of three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, taken from a conquered country, against all odds, rose to lead their new nation. And then we jump into the New Testament. The Gospels tell us that the greatest movement known to mankind began in a manger in Bethlehem. 
when a little boy was born. And that one solitary life changed the world and hopefully has changed your life. Little becomes much when God is in it. And we could stop right there because it's all summed up, summed up in that one person. But let me give you one more illustration out of the New Testament. John chapter 6, verse 5 through 13. Picking up with verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months of wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How far would they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Now, let me stop right there. Notice it said men. They didn't count the women and children back in those days. So most likely, there could have been eight, ten thousand 10,000 people here. Let's go on. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, then distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, that nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now let's jump back to verse 7. Philip says, eight months of wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Philip, I'm sorry, Andrew says in verse 9, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far would they go among so many? Now, I don't mean to throw these two disciples under the bus because they really had a massive task in front of them. But Philip, he looked at the situation, he looked at the huge crowd, looked at the money bag, if you will, and knew that they didn't have enough money. It's very practical response. There's no way we can pay for this. No way. And then Andrew walks up with a boy and says, this boy's willing to give his, his happy meal to you. So Jesus, I'm looking out at this crowd and I have no idea how this happy meal is going to make all these people happy, but here it go. Here you go. He takes the meal, the bag lunch, if you will, stands up, gives thanks. And next thing you know, the disciples are picking up 12 baskets of leftovers. I think that's interesting. Because I think Jesus didn't just want Philip and Andrew to know little becomes much. He wanted all 12 of his disciples to know that little becomes much. So they gave them, he gave them a basket for each one of them. As they're filling that basket up, they were saying to themselves, little becomes much when God is in it. Amen? But Andrew and Philip, they did not see the significance of the gift or the giver. That's obvious. Why? Why? Because they were looking at the 5,000. Then they looked over at the gift, and they were saying to themselves, there are just too many, and the gift is just too small. There are so many, and the gift is too small. But Jesus saw something totally different. Oh, he saw the gift, but he saw the giver. And without question, the size of the gift didn't matter because Jesus was going to multiply it. So what was really important? What was he really looking for? He was looking for someone, hear me, someone who would make themselves and what they had available to him. He was looking for someone 
who would make themselves and what they have available to him. Now, I have a conviction. I have a conviction in that crowd of 5,000 plus people, there were other people who had bag lunches. And the difference between them and that little boy, they weren't willing to surrender themselves or what they had for anyone. But the young boy was willing to surrender himself and what he had, and we are telling his story tonight. Not the people in the crowd were only telling his story. Hear me. Jesus used that boy then, and he's using him right now. Could you imagine in the kingdom of God, could you imagine the millions, and I mean millions, of people that are going to be in the kingdom of God because that young boy was faithful, available, and teachable. Without question, he surrendered himself and what he had, and God keeps using him day after day, year after year. And when he stands up before God, he's going to have millions of people behind him. Amen? Because he was faithful, say it with me, Faithful, available, and teachable. Faithful, F. Available, A. Teachable, T. What's that spell? Fat. Don't mean to be crass. Just trying to help you to remember what I'm saying. Here it is. Faithful, available. Can you be faithful? Seriously, I'm, I'm really asking. Can you really be faithful? Can you make what you have in yourself available? Are you willing to be teachable? Are you being willing to do what God is asking you to do. If that's you, then God will use you. He will use you without question to advance his kingdom. We do not have forever to do what God called us to do. We don't. Tomorrow's promise to no one. And every one of us, including myself, will stand before the Lord and we will give account, now hear me, as believers, as believers, we're not going to stand before the Lord and he's, he's not going to be deciding whether you're going to heaven or hell. Heaven is guaranteed because you're a believer in Christ Jesus. But what you're going to be accountable for is how well you built the kingdom of God. What you did, hear me, with your treasure, your talent, and your time. Now, you might be sitting out there and say, Pastor Ed, listen, okay, God uses faithful and available teach. I can be that. But you might be thinking, some of you, like the disciples, Pastor Ed, it looks like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And it looks like there's a lot more unbelievers than there are believers out there. So I'm kind of wondering if the church is even going to survive. And then, Or you might be thinking, you're what? I'm only one person. What can I really do to make a difference? Honestly, I'm only one person. If that's you tonight, or thinking anything like that, look at verse 32 with me. Look at th verse 32. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of air come and perch in its branches. A mustard seed is tiny, <laughs> a little bit larger than a grain of sand. But the difference between a mustard seed and a grain of sand, what's the difference? The mustard seed has life in it. The grain of sand doesn't have life. Only the mustard seed. So the grain of sand will just sit on the beach. That's all it does. It just sits there on the beach. 
But a grain of sand, when it dies, it begins to grow and it can become the largest plant in the garden. If you have repented of your sin and you have asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior, the Bible says in that moment you were born again. You were born again of the Spirit of Christ. The third person of the Trinity came and indwells within you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have the life of Christ. You know what that means? That means that you are no longer temporary. You are eternal. That means that you are no longer natural, but you are supernatural. And if you are willing, hear me, if you are willing to be faithful, available, and teachable, you're willing to surrender yourself and what you have, Jesus Christ will use you to build his kingdom. Because that's who he's looking for. You know, in Matthew 28, the Christian Mission Alliance knows this passage. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know the commandment in that verse? Therefore, go and make disciples. Hear me. If you are just a disciple, then you're not making one. See, if people like myself are investing in you, but you take what you're learning and you invest it in no one, you're not making disciples. Hear this. This is what's going on in our country. Everybody's sitting there, hearing it and hearing it and hearing it, but they knew nothing with it. They don't multiply themselves. They're not taking what they learn and teach anybody else with it. You can't, look, hear me, I'm trying to be a good pastor to you because you guess what? You and I are going to stand before God and he's going to say to you, what did you do with your time, talent, and treasure? Why didn't you build my kingdom? And I don't want that for you. I don't want you to be the sand on the beach. I want you to be a mustard seed. Do you hear me now? I'm not beating you up. I'm telling you the truth. Here, listen, you've got to take what you learn and you've got to impart it to somebody else. And then he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Go, therefore, when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you're to do what? There you go and you be a witness where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, out of parts of the world. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So we need to go and we need to be a billboard for Jesus Christ. Your life's got to reflect him so people ask you, what's the reason of your hope? Your life's got to reflect him. You be I'm not, saying, I'm not asking you all to be evangelists. That's not what it's saying. He's saying, can you go out and give a testimony of what God is doing in your life? You can't be silent. You've got to speak the truth. Tell people what makes you different. Amen? Amen? That's what he's called every one of us in this room to do. That's why we're locking arms between Urban Impact and ACAC for now 36 years, 26 years, to make a difference right here in this neighborhood, this city, this country and around the world. And we can. We can. Because every one of us in this room is a mustard seed. Little becomes much when God is in it. Don't be afraid. Don't think less of yourself. You have value and worth. He sees you. He knows you. He can use you. You just got to be what? This would be an Urban Impact Sunday, or, well, Saturday. 
Let me just uh, share with you because some of you, you know, it's, uh, it's really important to understand what I'm about to say. In the 36 years of ministry that I've had here, I am telling you the truth. I hope I can get through this. Right now, the children and youth that we're working with on the north side are in desperate need of us. I mean that. All the years of ministry. Why do I say that? Because of the pandemic. We got kids that have never been to school for 18 months. And we know at Urban Impact, if they can't read by third grade, they're going to be locked in poverty the rest of their lives. So if you were out of school for 18 months, you've been left behind like that, who's going to help you catch up? I can go on and on telling you the devastation that's happened with the children and youth that we're working with physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It's amazing. And we need volunteers. Look, if you want to help us, if you want to get and lock arms, look at this. Here's how you do it. You can give, go, and pray. Give, go, and pray. What do I mean by that? Well, you can give. We know nothing moves without prayer, leadership, and money. Think about that. Nothing moves without prayer, leadership, and money. If you don't have it, it you don't move. So you can, you, can, you can support a missionary. You can support Urban Impact. You can make meals. You can do a lot of different things. Second, you can go. What we need right now is hundreds, not just a few. We need hundreds of volunteers right now, hundreds. We were ministering before we came to the pandemic. We were ministering to almost 2,500 children and youth. We've got it built back up to about 1,100. But the reason, one of the reasons why we can't go and, and get all the rest of those kids because we don't have enough volunteers anymore. People have just not come for all the reasons that we all know. So we need volunteers to come. We're in the schools, outside of the schools. We're, we're ministering to kids, doing Bible studies. And we need people to come and make meals. And I can go on and on. But the last thing is pray. And I don't mean it's the last thing. It's the first thing. And one of the ways that you can really pray, hear me on this, is sign up for the newsletter. Just get our newsletter. It will tell you how to pray, what to pray for. You will be so encouraged to see the things that God is doing through us. It's amazing. So sign up today. All you got to do is go to 55498. Text that or go out into the tables, talk to them. Now, if you want to volunteer, we got this thing called Connections. It's going to happen this Tuesday. We usually do it here at Allegheny Center, but because of that big old hole out there, we can't come right now. So we went out to Christ Church. You can come out there. We, we make a meal for everybody. We'll train you. We'll help you. Just come out. That's this coming Tuesday. Show up out there, and we'll train you and equip you if you'd like to be a volunteer. I end with this. Hear me. I've said this illustration before, but it fits so well right here. You know, I've had, I had a friend, he was a pastor and he was in college and he was in a literature class. And in the literature class, only had one assignment. He had to write one paper. He procrastinated. And he waited for two weeks before the paper was due at the end of the semester. He went to the library, pulled some all-nighters, got the paper in, got the paper back. On the paper, in big red letters, it said, good paper, good content, but with a big circle with an F in the middle of it. And he looked at that and said, wait a minute, good paper, good content? How could I get an F? And on the very bottom, it had these words, wrong assignment. Listen to me. 
for such a time as this, Allegheny Center and Urban Impact are locking arms. We can do this. We can save, rescue, deliver children, young people. They're in desperate need. We can do this together. Sign up today, will you? God bless you. It's always good to be here. You guys are fantastic. Love you.